Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know how we say the white industry needs just a little bit of a better sense of humor? <laughs> Rick, people say that about us, and too. it's true, actually. <laughs> but the wine industry, and frankly, the whole world of wine, is even worse than us. Well, wait, I, I want to put in a good word for our friend Ron Washam, the hose master uh, yeah, of wine. Yeah. He's funny. He, right, he's good. And, and, of course, us. And, actually, I would say Ron is really funny. Yeah, probably right. Uh, but we actually have a point here, and that is that there's a new Netflix movie co- out called Wine Country. Yes. Uh, which is pretty funny, and it's also pretty kind. And it's also not at all about wine. Right. So guess what, Paul? Wine writers are complaining about it. I am. I'm totally shocked. I'm totally shocked. This, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. So yep. you have yet another case of wine writers entirely missing the point. Missing the point. We will explain. Also today, listeners ask about drinking Cabernet in summer, whether machine harvesting is good or bad, and about winery policies on limos, plus our horrible wine writing is a marriage of intense fruit and gibberish. And as usual, <laughs> we're going to make fun of wine snobs. And by the way, as usual, here we are. You know, we've been off for a couple of weeks, and uh, Capital Public Radio has been patient, and we're still on their air, Paul. The, 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 the amazing thing the is that your key still works. I yes. would have thought they, cha- they would have changed the locks. Well, no, they keep trying that, but, you know, I, I, I tackle somebody on the way out. So, uh, go, yeah, thank so you So thank that. you, Capital, yes, NPR. We're, we and, love you. And we're still on Napa, uh, uh, broad, Napa Broadcasting out of your Napa Valley College. Yes, I'm an s- institution of higher learning. I, I think they would have re- revoked your card right now, <laughs> but apparently not. So, um, uh, well. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul White. And go there and ask us a question pretty much anytime. Good. All right, so to start off, Paul, I'm going to put on an old hat. Uh, anything to take off the shine a little bit there, Rick, from <laughs> yeah. the bald head. Uh, but uh, I'm assuming, uh, to our dear readers, I should explain that Rick is about to change the whole premise of this show because he's about to talk about something that he knows something about. Shocking, isn't it? And, you know, in contrast to his comments about wine, Rick actually was TV critic for a major newspaper for a number of you, 15, 16, 16 years. years yeah. So he actually knows what he's talking about when it comes to this stuff. So I'm just going to sit back and listen to him talk a little bit here. Well, it, it's only going to last about a minute that I know what I'm talking about. And I, st- <laughs> I still go off the rails. But there, this is the point. So anybody who's ever watched themselves or something they do on television or in the movies right. realizes how completely unlike what it actually is that they do. Uh, I don't think most police uh, crimes are solved within uh, 52 minutes or 44 <laughs> minutes. You know? And uh, I, I know right. everybody now, and that, now that I have some connection to the world of medicine, I know that uh, a lot of those doctors are actually filling out forms and typing on computers right. for after their careers. Well, and what I notice is the shows the, the shows about dragons, those are so off the mark those from real dragons. dragons are so much better than yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. not even close. Yeah. So, so here Here's a story that is not even about wine, not even right. about wine. Uh, and yet we've gone into that special wine writer space that's uh, they found ways to be narcissistic and elitist and yet very serious. Uh, and <laughs> uh, Yeah. All right. So, so let me ask you a question, Rick. Did you like the film? I did. Uh-huh. I did. I yeah. didn't Because it's got, it from was... from film critics, it's got kind of... Lukewarm to pretty positive reviews. Well, so here's – if I'm writing about this in the 30-second review, it would be right. – this is not a great movie. Yeah. But it is it is enjoyable to watch characters that you know. And the, and the movie is fundamentally sort of bent so that they can each do what they each do well. Right. Um, but, you know, what? what is clear is that they like each other. They like each other right. in real life. And that's, that's – and so you get to bask in that. Yep. 
and you know, frankly, just like the listeners of this podcast, they get to bask in our scorn for each other. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry. So. Yeah. Uh, the movie, by the way, in case anybody doesn't know, that's this wine country. It stars Amy Poehler and Maya Rudolph and a whole bunch of other SNL women comics. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they go to Napa Valley to celebrate a friend's, a friend's 50th birthday. And the wine is about friendship and connections. And this is the key. It is not about wine. Yeah. It, uh, Chinatown is not about the Chinese ethnic community. And I thought I thought it was about dim sun. Yeah, and this is not about wine. This yeah. is about women getting together and celebrating themselves. Yeah, and in most cases, even when some movie is about something like it's a cop show, it's still not particularly yeah. accurate. So, yeah. so the stars and the writers certainly, and everyone has said this is not about. It's about us, you know. Right. And there was, in fact, um, I. I enjoyed this because uh, I, there was a 200-word Q&A, a 2,000-word Q&A in Vanity Fair with the cast. Hmm. And you know how many times they mentioned the word wine? Um, not very often. Zero. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Is, the movie's probably not about wine. Well, you know, the fun thing that I noticed was that professional film critics, as opposed to wine people, right. when they wrote about this movie, they actually really liked the wine parts because they thought the wine parts were funny right. because it showed normal, average people confronted with the usual wine geeks and finding the experience a combination of of a little bit unsettling and outright hilarious. Yes, and and this now wine people don't think that's funny. Well, this is going to lead to exactly one of our comments. Okay, uh, but uh, so one of the ones, and this was my favorite because it was a few. But this is from an East Coast blogger who said, "And stay with me here before you do your spit take." Paul is he said, <laughs> "Why would they want to take a trip to Napa anymore? <laughs> there are so many more authentic regions and places where the wines aren't giant butter or oak bombs." Because that's what the movie was because about. Because the movie was about six women trying to find their favorite wine. No, it was about indigenous varieties. <laughs> <laughs> or was it six women going off and having a really good time with their friends? Which is, by the way, when you do a consumer survey of what visitors in the Napa Valley or any other wine region want right. to do— Learning about wine is way down, dead last on the list. Yes. What they want to do— they want to have a really good time with their family and, and maybe friends. drink some wine, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and here's another one. This one comes from um, actually one of the better, less hysterical wine writers out there. And still, talk about missing the point. This is the um, the wine. The writer actually said one thing: wine country is not about wine. Well, good. Apparently, you got it. Uh, you'd think. Uh, but this is the thing. Anytime anyone goes near a wine bottle, wine writers feel that need to, and I'm giving you my air quotes here, Paul. I can see them. I can see them. Educate. They got to educate. <laughs> so the writer goes on to say something to the effect that, and the logic for me is a little circuitous, is how the movie is much like uh, wine advertising aimed at women. That denigrates them because it implies that women wine, drink wine too. And now I know this is going to shock you. Have fun. Oh, my God, no. It's terrible. It's Please, terrible. make it stop. And that scene that you were talking about, where they yeah. they make fun of the um, the, the, the wine tour guide that leader, was giving them all the you yeah. know malactic fermentation and whole cluster and all yeah. that stuff, and um, whole cluster indeed. And the writer complains and says, um, anytime there's a scene when someone tries to explore the wine, there's a scene where it tries to explore the winemaking history of wine, and Amy Poehler's gang could not be less interested. See, the writer says it's another scene where women are confronted with erudite topics but willfully ignore them. 
Actually, men do that too. Yes. Anytime they're confronted with somebody who thinks they're a pretentious, ostentatious, yes. pedantic fool, most people will ignore them. Which is why nobody talks to us. Well, well uh, you. <laughs> That's not <laughs> um, And the wine runner tries to get not too combative and says, you know, this is the problem is not wine country is not the problem. The problem is that there's more sophisticated ways to engage with Napa Valley, but it's not just not being marketed to women. You know what? Napa Valley is being marketed to it women totally extremely is. successfully. Uh, visitors' numbers are up very slightly. Visitors' dollars are up significantly. Uh, Napa Valley's doing just fine. The problem is that wine people, when they see themselves in the movies, they not only say, oh, that's not accurate, but they're offended because they're made to look as if they are pretentious, ostentatious, and have no sense of humor. And how do they act in response? They become pretentious, ostentatious, and clearly demonstrate that they have no sense of humor. If they don't want to see themselves as pretentious and ostentatious, <laughs> they should not go look at mirrors. <laughs> I'm just – how do they shave in the morning? I don't know, you know. But I don't know. Well, most of the women don't. Why there's a anyway. lot of scraggly beards running around out there I think is probably what it is. Um, and just, just to, to one more time to talk about – because this movie really is – an intelligent approach. And, you know, Amy Poehler taught, said that it's about long friendships that go deep and it's how they change and how there's not one platonic version of that. There's not one version of that, which is not one version. <laughs> the concept that there's there's more than one idea is not something that goes well with wine folk, too. And then I want to <laughs> read what Maya Rudolph said in Va to Vanity Fair because completely unintended, it's a little bit of an homage to Sideways oh, in a nice way. Okay. She said, when I think about this movie, I think about our history. She's talking about her and her friends. Her group, yeah. yeah. I think about the choices we've made to be a family in some way. I think about what we've learned together as a group. I think about the way in which everyone has naturally folded into these roles and where this idea that humans are meant to live in villages and we live in a time in a world where most of us don't live in a small village and yet we can have the choice to create our own. That's nice. It's, actually, it's lovely. Actually, and this is a film my wife might actually want to go see because she has a basic rule that she will not watch any films that have blood, car chases, or explosions. She doesn't get to the movies much. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. this movie, well, I, think, I think we're okay with that. Yes, so cool. Well, well, that's 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 usually our theme is blood, car blood chases. explosions, and car chases. Well, so for a the only car chases is when they chase us out of the studio. That's true. Well, for a little bit of blood, Paul, I think it's time we answer some questions. <laughs> Going for blood. Okay. Well, and by the way, thank you for listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. And as we take questions, we want to remind you you can go to our website, which is rickandpaulwine.com, or go to Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at Rick and Paul Wine and. Mm -hmm. Ask us a question. Don't forget, look for us on Apple Podcasts. So All what right. do we got? Our first one comes from Angela in El Dorado Hills. Okay. Since um, it is turning finally to summer, uh, or towards summer anyway, towards summer. she says, can I drink cabs in summer? I keep seeing stories about time to put away your reds. Um, uh, Angela, you can drink cabs anytime you want and anywhere you want. That's our answer to that question. Now, the truth is, if it's 105 in the El Dorado Hills and you're having an outdoor barbecue and you're the one at the grill, you may not want to drink Cabernet while you're grilling in the hot sun just because it's a little heavy. And my experience is beer does really well as a, 
as a coolant for the barbecuer. <laughs> yes. What you do is you, you keep a big tub and the barbecuer stands in the and middle of the stand beer. in the middle of it. Yeah, it keeps right. it absolutely. And every once in a while pours a bottle of beer over his head and keeps going. Yeah, That's right. But the well, truth is, uh, cab is good and you should drink it when you want to drink it. Yeah, and you know that thing we were just harping about earlier about there's one version, one way to do things. That's right. And, you know, there's always, okay, now folks, this is, and partly it's, you know, because, and in a, in a less uh, idiot way, you know, wine writers and those folks who do that kind of stuff, and what, or a marketer, we have to now. It's time to tell you something different. Right. So you know, right. we were we've been talking about this. everybody's been drinking Cabernet and Chardonnay right. for too long. We need to sell you something different. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's why all that's, the chatter is out there. But no, you get to drink anything you want, anytime you want. Maybe not at work, but the rest of the time, <laughs> like, totally, totally good. Good. Okay. Our next one comes from uh, Cheryl in Santa Rosa. Uh huh. I saw this story. I know of which she speaks. Um, oh, good. She said because okay. it was from. It's in you, the, wait, you you read? <laughs> I had some somebody translated it for me. Nice. I got a couple of the words, but there were some big ones I couldn't get to. Yeah. Um, this one says, "I saw a story in the paper about how more and more vineyards are, are using mechanical harvesting. Is that better or worse for the wine?" Well, it kind of depends on what they start with. Yeah. Um, but, you know, mechanical harvesters used to be, 20 years ago, pretty rough on the grapes, and they'd kind of beat things up and just thrash the vines around and whack the berries off. But these days, most of the mechanical harvesters actually work. They have trays that sort of fit, lock in underneath the, the vine, and then they sort of grab the vine and shake it. And theoretically, at least, only the really ripe grapes fall off the bunches. So if they're underripe, they don't fall off. If they're too dried out and they kind of stick to the cluster, they won't fall off either. So in some ways, uh, I've had people who used to pick, let's say, uh, a lot of grapes by hand, say that they're actually getting, on the average, better, better quality fruit, fruit yep. with mechanical than hand harvesting. Now. People who hand harvest and make $200 bottles of wine not only carefully select every bunch, but then they run all of those grapes through a sorting table. So they literally pull out every berry. Right. So I'm not about to say that machines are always better than people. But as a general rule, and certainly for wines under, say, $20, $25 a bottle, mechanical harvesting yeah. can be a really solid solution. Yeah, and one of the reasons, one of the many reasons those expensive wines are expensive is because when they're, they hand harvest, they go slower. They go slower. So there's a little yeah. bit of that going on. You know, the, and the other part of it too is that the vineyard it helps to have vineyards that are planted to all now although the machines are also a little smaller than they used to be um but they have to be able to fit down the rows yeah and it, they don't work too well on hillsides and things like that so well, and, they need and relatively flat as we were speaking about movies one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where the mechanical harvester starts chasing the guy through the vineyard and the harvester is running right down the row of vines. And the guy's running away from the harvester by running right down the row of vines. If he'd duck under I one row... Never understood that. You know, all those kinds of movies, right? It, see, yeah. they just don't get it right, Rick. Yeah. In uh, dragons, they always yeah. mess up the dragons. Yep, the dragon would know to change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, all right well... Before we no, I'm not going to do a pun. I was going to do a pun. I don't Ooh. want to know the lowest kind of humor. Pun no avoided. Puns. That is it. So let's just say that's it for questions for now, and we're going to have more in just a bit. Um, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, of course. And you know what's coming up, Paul? Time for some really horrible wine writing. Excellent. Yep, there we go. That happy, happy music. 
<laughs> and so, you know, we've been complaining about wine writing most of the show, and so it might feel like we're piling on, Paul, but I say let's do it. Oh, yeah. I'm all in. <laughs> okay. okay. So let me give you this one. All right. A marriage of California old vine fruit and refined Rhone-style character. This petite Syrah displays dark, aromatic intensity of fruit combined with dexterous mid-level fruit in the attack, blended with seamless notes of cracked pepper, molasses, dried herbs, blackberry, and cassis on the nose. The palate is dense and chewy. The elegant interplay of flavors is enjoyable on its own, as well as with bold dishes. This is gibberish. Well, I, I will say one thing about it. It does sound like the guy likes the wine. Yes. Yeah, I'll give you okay. that. Yep. He, he actually likes the wine. I would avoid I, bold dishes. At your age, Rick, I would not be eating any bold well, dishes. Well, the bold dishes, they, they just slap me around a little bit and move on. They go, they're, they go, <laughs> Unless they truly they're, are bold, no, in which case. Yes. Yeah. yeah the uh, I like Dark the, aromatic intensity of fruit. I like the dexterous mid-level fruit, whatever that is. Well, that's very clever fruit. That's fruit that has a gift a, t- a talent with its hands. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to think. Maybe it's, it goes to its left really well. It has, <laughs> exactly a, nice, right. it has a good yes. mid-level, so maybe a 12-foot jump shot kind of a thing going on. Yeah. Blended with seamless notes of cracked pepper. Why is it always cracked pepper? Uh, that's There's a good question because, you know, if it's, if it's whole pepper, you choke on it. Well, okay, that explains it. Thank so, you. Yeah. I, I was I was confused about uh, yes, that. Yes, I guess. All right. So mine, um, yeah, mine's one of those uh, one of those really long ones. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and it's also this. So in the glass, the in one, the glass. Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> As opposed because to... when you put it on the table, it's just it's totally different. <laughs> in in the glass, the wine has a light butter yellow color with a star. So and it bite you, l- butter yellow color because yellow could also you know be a sound. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Or a texture. Uh, yes. Uh, with a star bright core going in, out into a faint glass clear rim definition with light to medium viscosity. Excuse me. Um, I when you're done, would you just give me a nudge and wake me up? Yes. This is a guy taking a psalm test. Uh, <laughs> yes. Right. So okay. On the nose, there are fresh notes of. I like this. This is funny. There are fresh notes of crushed white fruit from pomelo, which isn't white. <laughs> white cranberry, stone rose. Oh, our favorite stone rose. Uh, here we go again. Here we go I, again. We don't know what this is. White flowers, Wh- Asian pear, and subtle hints of white rose petals and white corn as well as white corn, as well as soft mineralia and altogether fragrant package. Can I ask a question? Is this a white wine? Because it has, yes. it ha- yeah, it has white flowers, white rose petals, white corn. And white cranberry. This, this, you know, this is like a bad decorator decorating a room. <laughs> Let's find some more white stuff. White yeah. corn. I'm gonna. You know, and how? by the way, white flowers. Are we talking gardenias, geraniums, roses? What, what's a white flower? Uh, it's uh, jasmine. Jasmine. Okay. I well, have then. No idea. With all due respect, you ought to say jasmine instead of white flower. And you know, remember we. Does we, it go on? Stone rose. Uh, Stone rose. This could be the same person, by the way. Remember we looked it up once. Yes. And, and not, not looked it up. You called a professor of botany at Purdue. Yes. Or something. And did not have it. But I looked it up again, and uh-huh. I, here's what I found. It was a. There's a British band called yeah. Stone Rose. Yeah, it's this rock and roll band. Here's what I'm thinking. We need to do. 
uh-huh. we need to write a description just using band names. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to write the band and ask them what they smell like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, right. I, hey, I, we I can, keep hearing your name used to describe wine. I, what do you guys really smell like? I come and imagine, Paul, and I don't think we want to know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. All right. Well, you know, before we beat that one to death, let's uh, go Too back. Late. We have a couple more questions. <laughs> This is from Jason in Santa Barbara. Good. And he says, some of the wineries around, around us have signs that say no limos. Um, by the way, as, you, as I often do, you know I save questions now and then for themes yes. since we're talking about a group going okay, around. Yeah. Thought, that was yeah, smart yeah, of you, yeah, Rick. Yeah. Look at you. That implies thought. <sighs> That's all I had. That's it. The rest of it. <laughs> I, I'm empty. All right. So uh, he says, some of the wineries around us have signs that say no limos. I'm assuming this isn't a parking issue, which is very funny, Jason. Um, so what do they have against larger groups? Do most places have limo policies? And Jason's absolutely right. It's not about parking. It's about the fact that people who plan in advance and take large limos full of people from winery to winery have a tendency to drink way more than they need to because they're not driving. In big part, yeah. And as a result, they generally find it's easier to say no limos than it is to say no groups of really drunk people who walk in here and scream and yell and and do embarrassing things and then all fall back into the limo to go to the next winery. Yeah, there's uh, that um, the what, the bachelorette party uh, syndrome syndrome and yes. it's, it's what actually they talk about in the taste room. It's what they call it. Yeah, um, and it is yeah. precisely the group in wine country that they're talking about in yeah. some ways. Although yeah. these this, this group doesn't actually misbehave, um, and you know it. it the other part of it too is that often, I mean, they just they tend not to buy wine, right? Um, and in in places, certainly the more expensive wine country, there, you know, whether there's a tasting fee or not, really the they try to amortize the cost of pouring you a lot of wine right. by at least you right. buy a couple bottles and maybe you join a club. And when you're yep. in a group like that, the tendency is less. That's right. Yeah. So they yep. they tend they tend to you know yep. at the same time. Most wineries don't want to be inhospitable, which is why a lot of them may ask that you make res- reservations ahead of time. And they'll put you on a table outside and let you yep. wander around, drink to your heart's content kind yep. of thing. So, yep. Um, our second one comes from Brittany in Oakland. Uh-huh. And she says, cool. um, our local popular store name removes so we don't get sued. Has <laughs> a lot of wines that are pretty cheap, but I haven't seen them anywhere else. Yep. I haven't seen their names. Are they real wineries? And how do I know if they're really any good? Okay, so they're probably not. If she means, are they real wineries? Are they made in a winery that has the name of the label on the outside of the winery? The answer is probably no. Probably. Although no. it might surprise you how many wines are made, at least in part, in some place that isn't on the label, and then get blended together or you know bottled somewhere because wineries are really expensive to make, and a lot of grape growers, for example, may bottle some of their own wine and bottle at another winery, and it's called custom crush. Now, what's happened is a lot of the big retailers and even some big distributors now go out on the bulk market and they literally put together wines. They see a need in the store. They say, gosh, I wish we had a, what was that petite Syrah that I had that was a marriage of old fine fruit and refined Rhone style character? And they'll and, go out. And dexterous. Don't forget and dexterous, dexterous mid-level you fruit. You've got to get the yeah. dexterous mid-level fruit. And they may go out and create a wine like that just because they've always wanted to sell it. And they'll put their own label on it. Right. And so she's right. Not all of them are made by authentic wineries out in the field. They may be custom crush or they may be specific proprietary labels of the store 
The second question's a lot harder, which is, are they good wines? Yeah. And the answer is, the only way you know is to tell. Yeah, yeah. Open you know, one up and try it. I, the um, uh, since I I did uh, I do know what the popular local store name is, uh, but I uh-huh. won't mention or even imply. Um, although everybody can't find par- nobody can find parking at them, um, <laughs> as uh, I know that they have they have a handful of wines and, and and they tend to one of the issues is not all of their wines. But one of the issues is that they they tend to, to buy uh, wines in bulk that but right. they're not going to have them forever. Right. So they'll have them for three months or six months and then they yep. move on. Yep. And and they buy them um, because they can get a really good deal on them. They tend to have their own standards. They do have standards. It's not like this is the really right. worst stuff in the world. Right. But the standards might not be yours. And well, so, exactly. So it's hard to know. And, and one way to do that. To yeah. I used to say this with uh, Two Buck Chuck, a name we can say because now it's Three Buck Chuck, um, <laughs> is that, you know, my joke was buy a bottle, go, go out to the parking lot and taste it. Right. And if you like it, go back and buy that case. Right. And if you don't like it, don't. Or, See? or, or try a different case because it try might be different. Right. Yeah. There you go. That's sort of the old joke about it. But, um, so, but there really is because nobody reviews these because they're so beneath the quote-unquote well, beneath the radar. Well, it's not only beneath that, but they're only available in certain locations. Right. So right. somebody would review them and then people would write all over the country saying, are you kidding? It's right. only available in that one store. I so. actually did a story once for my paper um, and, and went through mm-hmm. like um, the, the bottom level stuff at this particular store. Uh-huh. And, and most of them were solid. Well, you were pretty used to those wines, weren't well, you? Well, right? uh, yeah, because I was crawling around on my stomach often, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the day, and so that's that's where I was. All right, Excellent. well, that is it uh, for uh, <laughs> yeah, we, us, us crawling around. Um, the, it's another round of ball talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Anthony Van Hook, who is helping out for a bit. Thank you, Anthony. We appreciate your patience. Uh, I hope we don't drive you away too quickly. Our associate producer is Jeremy Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us in their podcast lineup. Don't forget, look for us at rickandpaulwine.com or Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's this. Sometimes a movie is just a movie, and a glass of wine is just a glass of wine. <laughs> I'm Rick Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the ones you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. 